0: You're listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Dr. Lisa Belial is a physician trained in family and preventative medicine, acupuncture, and public health. She offers medical care and acupuncture at Brunswick Family Medicine. Read more about her integrative approach to wellness in Maine Magazine. Here are some highlights from this week's program.
1: And we are growing what is arguably the healthiest vegetable you can eat with no fresh water, no arable tillable land, no fertilizers or insecticides. And what I see is an industry that should continue to grow, create jobs in this state, and help the earth while feeding people well into the next century.
2: One thing led to another and we started talking about skin cancers and photo protection and why can't someone come up with a product that really is a multi-purpose multitasking product that people will use on a daily basis like a moisturizer that actually nourishes the skin but also protects it.
3: So I began real research for about a year and a half of different marine ingredients. We ended up with five very good ones that hydrate and rejuvenate, and there are other things out there that we'll still keep looking
0: for. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of REMAX Heritage, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank.
4: This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 161 Treasures from the Sea, airing for the first time on Sunday, October 12th, 2014. Maine is home to miles of inviting coastline, which gives us proximity to a prolific ocean whose treasures are many. The benefits of the sea go beyond swimming, sailing, and fishing. Today we speak with Dr. Mike and Wendy Taylor, developers of Ocean Elements Skincare Products, and Tolaf Olson, whose company Ocean Approved harvests nutrient-rich sea vegetables for eating. Listen to our conversation and understand what treasures the sea has to offer. Thank you for joining us. On today's show, we have two individuals who discuss things that are really very close to my heart um, as a physician and as an individual. Um, They wrap together things like community health, public health, but also environmental health and physical health. Today we have with us Dr. Michael Taylor, who is a retired dermatologist, who has had a career-long interest in public health, international health, and community medicine. His wife, Wendy Taylor, began her career in long-range planning, market research, marketing planning, and marketing management in large financial institutions in Chicago and Colorado. The husband and wife team later founded Conbit Santé, CAP Haitian Health Partnership, more recently, and the reason why we have them in the studio today. They founded Brightwater Bay Science, LLC, a Maine-based company whose focus is on skin health. Ocean Elements is a Brightwater Bay Science brand, and in May of this year, they introduced the first product, a daily moisturizer with an SPF of 30. Well, welcome into the studio.
3: Thank you for having us. Thanks, Lisa.
4: So we've had a chance to speak with, uh, with Nate Nickerson of Conbeat Sante. And also Deb Dietrich has spoken about your organization as well. So I wanted to start with that because it's something that I um, I am fascinated by. This has been, you've done this for quite a long time. And, and as a dermatologist and somebody who does work in marketing and long-range planning, I wonder if you can tell me why it was that you thought that this was important to you.
3: Well, uh, it was uh, 2000 uh, that we founded Sante. Uh And it grew out of a belief that we had resources here in the greater Portland area that would be uh, useful and willing to help out in underdeveloped uh, areas of the world if we could put together a structure Uh, that would support the volunteers uh, as they provided their services. Um, Both of us had had uh, experiences in medical missions Uh, uh, being dropped in for a week, uh, taking blood pressures, giving some medicines uh, and feeling as though we had done wonderful things and then uh, abandoning uh, our patients there uh, and they went back uh, to the way they were before. What struck us during one of our missions was a, uh, a nurse, a very caring nurse, who uh, ran up to us and said, uh, I just diagnosed a woman with diabetes. She has a blood sugar of 400. And Wendy and I looked at one another and said, have we done anybody any good uh, by being here? Uh, This was in the Dominican Republic uh, because there are no needles, there are no syringes, there are no public health nurses to train uh, individuals on how to take care of their diabetes, no strips to check the urine, really nothing. Uh, And we thought, wow, this really isn't very useful. We have to Uh, if we're going to do anything and use our time and resources, we have to uh, develop a method that's sustainable. We have to partner with a community over the long haul to support them so that the individuals, the professionals who live in that community can provide better services. Uh, actually uh, trying to create a sustainable uh, program rather than just dropping in and leaving feeling that we've done uh, some good. So we gathered um, thought leaders in the community, uh, not just physicians, but uh, Don McDowell, who was then president of Maine Medical Center, Jim Moody, who was president of Hannaford, Uh, Don Nickel, who uh, is a planner and had worked originally with Ed Uh, Muskie. So we really uh, tried to get people who would give us honest, good advice, as well as several physicians. Uh, And we met in our dining room for uh, seven or eight months uh, on a monthly basis and got things going and found, uh, not to our surprise, that, I mean, Portland's a wonderful community. I could just talk about Portland. But uh, we found, not to our surprise, that there were many people who wanted to participate and would participate if the structure were such that uh, they could be supported, which required finding a hotel, transportation, uh, making sure about immunizations, uh, forming the relationships, Uh, but it's really been successful. I suspect you know uh, Eva Lathrop. Eva was one of our first volunteers and she's uh, incredibly involved.
2: Eva Lathrop has been really instrumental in getting a women's health program going in Cap Haitian, uh, working with a, a powerful uh, OBGYN there. Uh, they formed a fast friendship as well as a collegial relationship, which has resulted so far in bringing uh, local health care workers into the healthcare system. They, the matrons who delivered 85% of the babies at home in the community had no training to speak of. They were the ones who people trusted and they didn't know what to do if they ran into a problem delivery. And so uh, Eva and Dr. Telemark, her colleague developed a program to bring those people in and train them and connect them to the medical community so that they would improve birth outcomes and they've continued to do that to take health care out into the community as as you probably know Eva was a Peace Corps volunteer in Malawi and she still travels to Haiti as well as to Africa and she does it on a regular basis she's has taken her little baby girl with her since she was less than a year old.
4: So it sounds like doctors are continuing to want to do good things in the yes. greater global community, and you're, you've set up a structure that enables them to do this and, be, and feel supported. Yes. How did the two of you, and I, I know this is somewhat personal, but how did the two of you meet and come to understand that you both were able to offer something in a relationship that would really be of benefit to uh, the greater good.
3: You can talk about how we met.
2: Well, we met like like most people meet. We were introduced and found out we had mutual friends and it wasn't till we had been married.
3: We were for a introduced while. by her mother. He was I was pre-approved by my
2: mother. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was later I think I worked briefly in Michael's office when he was between office managers and I quickly realized I did not have the the skills or the background to do that for very long but we did hire someone else who stayed with the practice for years and was wonderful and we in the Haiti project I guess we just decided over the dinner table that we were going to put a toe in the water and try it, get some people together, talk about it, and see what happened. And we have a good working relationship. <laughs> we have interesting dinner conversations.
3: Well, we we work well together. Uh, we were married uh, when we went to the Dominican Republic on a medical mission. And I think both of us uh, concluded after that experience that There were uh, really wonderful human beings who wanted to give of themselves, but it required a structure for that to happen in the proper way. I mean, ours isn't the only one, there are several, but there are many more that are dead-ended. And we decided together at that time that uh, you know, we were young and foolish. We said, "Well, I think we can do this better. I think we can set it up so that it's sustainable, uh, so that it has broad community support." I mean, we're we're a sister city. Uh, we've had uh, the uh, priest from the uh, cathedral, Father Jim. Do you remember Father Jim? I do. Father Jim came down with us to uh, Haiti. And uh, he then brought up uh, the uh, priest from Cap-Haitian who uh, gave Mass and a sermon uh, at the cathedral. So, you know, we felt that uh, not just uh, medical professionals, but the whole community Uh, would probably want to participate in a helpful way if there were a mechanism. So we did this together after uh, that experience. I think it uh, occurred during a conversation. We said, well, you know, we could probably do this. So we gave it a try.
4: Here on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we've long recognized the link between health and wealth. Here to speak more on the topic is Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial.
5: Sometimes I meet with married or partnered clients, and when we get to talking about their financial lives, a cultural divide bubbles to the surface. One person feels one way about their money, and the other seems to be on their own financial island with a set of beliefs and rules that have created unnecessary borders and boundaries. It's not an uncommon thing, and when I hit those situations, I do my best to help both people understand that neither is 100% right or wrong, that they simply have to take a step back and look at their own financial life in a new light. It is also true in politics and economics. What we need to do is see money as a living thing that can be used to grow our lives together without disagreement or so called border issues. It's a great feeling for me. It's like I'm helping people negotiate peace treaties with their money. Be in touch if you want to know more. Tom at Shepherd Financial
0: Maine will help you evolve with your money. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advice offered through Flagship Harbor Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Flagship Harbor Advisors and Shepherd Financial are separate entities from LPL Financial. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by Bangor Savings Bank. For over 150 years, Bangor Savings has believed in the innate ability of the people of Maine to achieve their goals and dreams. Whether it's personal finance, business banking, or wealth management assistance you're looking for, at Bangor Savings Bank, you matter more. For more information, visit www.bangor.com.
4: So let's talk about your newest um Endeavor, which I know is going to be successful because the other one was. So why wouldn't this one be?
3: Well, <laughs> each has its own challenge. Of course it so does. This but this
4: is very exciting to me. This <laughs> is Brightwater Bay Science. Um, you're focusing on skin health, which of course is your background, um, Dr. Taylor, in dermatology. Um, Ocean Elements is um, part of your is part of the Brightwater Bay Science brand, and you now have a daily moisturizer with an SPF of 30. There's an interesting story behind this, and there's an interesting main connection, and I want to I wanna ask Wendy about this.
2: Well, Michael uh, retired from his dermatology practice several years ago, and I think spent one month uh, collecting the books he intended to read, and going on a road trip with a guy friend, and uh, doing a little meditation, and at the end of a month, he said, I have to do something else. So uh, that was the brief retirement of Dr. Taylor. And one thing led to another, and we started talking about uh, s- skin cancers and photo protection, and why can't someone come up with a product that really is a multi-purpose, multitasking product that people will use on a daily basis, like a moisturizer that actually nourishes the skin, but also protects it. Uh, We were saying people have such a bad attitude about anything that's called a sunscreen because they assume it's going to be sticky, smelly, unpleasant. It'll creep and itch and get into your eyes. And that was sort of the beginning of the conversation.
3: Uh, When I was in practice, I'd suggest to uh, individuals that they try a couple go to the pharmacy and try a couple and, first of all, determine which one they would use, uh, and then check what was in it and so forth. So uh, for us, that became a primary, uh, primary thing. Uh, we wanted to, uh, based on our experience during the screening, Wanted to use marine ingredients as much as possible, if they would provide legitimate benefit uh, to to the product. And being in Maine, we were really fortunate uh, to have access to information.
4: So. Well, tell me about tell me about that and why it was important to use marine ingredients.
3: Well. Uh, uh, they're ubiquitous. They're available. Uh, We wanted to uh, promote Maine. That was a side uh, goal of ours, was to promote Maine. And we haven't done that yet. Uh, Truth uh, uh, right out there, the marine ingredients that are in our product uh, are... Sourced by the manufacturer. Uh, we're a small startup and we don't have the financial or historical clout to persuade uh, the manufacturer to look beyond their traditional sources. So uh, our intention was uh, to use main sources and it will be. Uh, uh, in the future, if we continue going, we'll have enough uh, ability to to do that. But uh, if you look around uh, at how natural products are discovered, most of them are close by. People look at rose hips and say, okay, vitamin C. Uh, uh, we haven't explored uh, the ocean for all of the possibilities, and there is a treasure trove out there. Uh, when I started doing my research, uh, it became clear uh, that there were tons of effective antioxidants. Uh, there. Uh, is a a coral that actually creates a photoprotective barrier. Uh, And you find it only on the highest points of the coral, closest to the surface of the water. Uh, And it has an effective SPF value. Uh, So uh, there are many things there. And the more research we did, the more we found out.
4: Wendy, can you talk to me about some of the trends that you've seen in skincare? Sure.
2: Uh, there are several things that we're seeing right now as trends in skincare. care. Uh, first and foremost, I think people are becoming more concerned about what's in the products they use and what's in the products they use on their children. Um, secondly, uh, people are becoming increasingly aware of potential damage from sun exposure, Uh, aware of skin cancers, but also aware of photo aging, potential damage, wrinkles, fine lines, dark spots. Um, And that's interesting to people of all ages, not just the older people who are already experiencing them, but also the younger people who who would like to avoid the problems. Uh, A third trend we're seeing that as people mature, Um, They're increasingly concerned about the appearance and the health of their skin. And they become interested in anti-aging products and routines. And this translates into a growing interest in anti-aging products, but not just among older women. We're seeing it among younger women now, too. Um, The other thing that we're seeing is that this this interest in anti-aging products is not just among women. We're starting to see more men.
3: I just wanted to comment uh, on one thing, and that is, uh, and this would interest you as a family physician, Uh, there was a recent study of teenage girls. They showed a uh, movie of the effect of sunlight in creating skin cancer to one group. Uh, They showed some pretty awful, uh, uh, erosive lesions on the face. Then they took a separate group uh, of teenage girls, and they showed them a movie on the effect on aging of sun exposure with blotchy skin, uh, wrinkles, sags. And then after that, they uh, uh, gave them sunscreen and watched. It was an observer uh, study uh, who used sunscreen. Guess who? Not the ones who saw the skin cancer. They, their use stayed the same. But the, the teenage girls who saw aging consequences, their use went up. Uh, so, uh, uh, f- as a dermatologist uh, who has preached about uh, the risks of skin cancer for years and while not ignoring, certainly not emphasizing uh, the anti-aging, I've been headed in the wrong direction for decades. So.
4: Well, I think that that's a very important point and one that in medicine we are only just starting to understand is that people don't want to get cancer. They don't want to get heart disease. They don't want all these bad things. But at the same time, they want to see some benefit to what they're doing, yes. and they want to know that there's going to be some physical positive impact so as opposed to avoiding things always, which is a very fear-based approach. I think embracing things that enable us to be healthier and more well longer. So that's something in medicine that's really a fairly relatively young idea. So this is something that you're trying to do with your moisturizer. And what are your plans for other products? Well, we have uh, several products that are on our
2: possible wish list, but the the one that is coming up next is a night product that rejuvenates and repairs. Uh, We're in the process, and it also has some marine ingredients in it. We're in the process of finalizing that formula and doing some testing. We're doing both scientific testing in California in a scientific laboratory there and we're also doing some consumer testing here.
4: And one of the reasons that you became so interested in marine products, do I understand this correctly, is that you were noticing that the hands of people who worked around the water, fishermen for example, tended to be nice and bright and free of aging and...
3: Uh, I was doing uh, a, a skin cancer screening up at the fishermen's Forum. They have them every February at the SAMASET. Uh, And actually, the uh, uh, nursing school at USM has promoted this. Uh, I was just one participant with them. Uh, But during that, one of the wives who was with her husband said, uh, when he harvests uh, seaweed. His hands are nice and smooth and moist, and his friends who are fishermen and lobster uh, men uh, have rough uh, hands with cuticles that are uh, broken. Uh, and uh, they admitted that uh, harvesters of uh, seaweed have smooth hands. I began to research it. And laminaria digitata, uh, which is a seaweed uh, common to Maine, it's the brown, long, flat seaweed, Uh, has uh, a moisturizing component. It's actually hydrophilic. So even after you put it on, it absorbs uh, moisture from the air. Uh, and uh, maintains that, so it's a great moisturizer. Uh, uh, there is a gentleman by the name of uh, uh, Tollef Olson, who uh, farms Laminaria digitata off uh, Shibig Island, uh, and uh, he came and confirmed that and uh, demonstrated it. Uh, And uh, as I did more research, there was one plastic surgeon in New York who uh, used it for wound healing uh, successfully. So that really stimulated. I said, well, if, if there's something like this that's legitimate, it's effective, people will use it, has scientific evidence as to why it should work, there must be other things. So I began uh, real research for about a year and a half of uh, uh, different marine ingredients, uh, many dead ends, uh, many wonderful uh, ingredients that I just couldn't obtain. You know, they aren't manufactured. Uh, but we ended up with uh, five very good ones that uh, hydrate and rejuvenate. And one of them has a photoprotective uh, uh, feature, about an SPF of five. It's not uh, high enough, but it supplements. So uh, there are, And there are other things out there that uh, uh, we'll still keep looking for.
4: Meanwhile, the proceeds from um, your moisturizer and other things that are yet to be um, put together in your brand um, 50% of them are going to go to benefit environmental and public health nonprofits. Correct. So 10% will be Conbit Sante. Correct. 10% will be the sister organization down yeah. in Haiti. Is that right? Right. And then other ones, I think, are still.
3: Sure. Well, we're going to have a little, the equivalent of a little foundation to uh, support environmental and health uh, nonprofit organizations. And it probably eventually will be more than uh, 50%. But at the moment, uh, quite truthfully, uh, we're self funded. Uh, and we've made very little money so far. So uh, we really do want to pay ourselves back or at least uh, uh, pay part of it back before we uh, go off saving the world with our resources. But uh, you're right, uh, 50% of it right off the top. Uh, And one of the... Uh consultants uh, in San Francisco, uh, Peter Elias, has uh, been uh, head of our scientific advisory board. He's giving 5%, uh, which is all we would have given him, to nonprofits. So uh, it's sort of the ethos of the organization.
4: Well, I'm excited to try this myself. I haven't yet, but I am excited to. And I know that people who are listening will want to try your new moisturizer from um, Ocean Elements, which is your Brightwater Bay science brand. Also, we'll want to learn more about Combite Santé. How do people learn about all of these things that you two are doing, all of these wonderful um, things that you're bringing to the world?
2: We have a a website at oelements.com and that website has the background story of how, how the product and future products developed. Uh, has, we've tried to be very open about what's in the product, uh, what's in our packaging, and what isn't in our packaging, uh, which is important. And it also lists where, where the product can be bought. We love it when people buy online, but we have some excellent retailers who are doing a, a great job of helping us get the, get the word out. Uh, the product is now available in Maine at 19 or perhaps 20 by today retailers from York to Booth Bay Harbor, including uh, the Cape Arundel Inn, the Black Point Inn in Scarborough, uh, the Inn at Cuckold's Lighthouse in Southport, Maine, uh, Migas Lodge in Casco, Mim on a Whim in a Agunquit, uh, Alan Sterling and Lothrop in Falmouth, Apothecary by Design in Portland, and Nine Stone Spa in Portland. Uh, there are several here. I'm sorry if I've missed anybody. We also have Spoil Me in Falmouth, and one of our favorite places on the weekends, the North Creek Farm in Phippsburg.
4: <laughs> and then how do people find out about Combit Santé?
2: Combit Santé has a great website at
4: www.konbitsante.org. Well, I'm impressed with all the work that you've done. It sounds like you've been very thoughtful about not only the products that have, um, not only the things that have gone into your products, but also the packaging surrounding the products and where the proceeds, Which, because I know this will be successful, and I know that you will have lots of proceeds because everybody oh, so. who's listening is going to go out and buy some of this product, yeah. so where the proceeds will go to. So I, I appreciate um, what you're doing and really trying to, to um, use all of your skills and talents as individuals as, and as a couple to bring this great work into the world. Thank you. We've been speaking with Dr. Michael Taylor and his wife, Wendy Taylor, about the Conbeat Santé Cap-Haitian Health Partnership and also their newly founded Brightwater Bay Science uh, Maine-based company and their Ocean Elements Brightwater Bay Science brand. We're very appreciative of your coming in. Well, thank thank you. you. Thank you. As a physician and small business owner, I rely on Marcy Booth from Booth, Maine, to help me with my own business, and to help me live my own life fully. Here are a few thoughts from
2: Marcy. When asked, most of my clients say the same thing about what keeps them up at night. Money. Making certain cash flow is there to meet day-to-day operational needs. Oh my gosh, is payroll going to be able to make it? When we dig deeper, we understand that those sleepless nights are symptoms of poor planning and forecasting. And more often than not, the reasons for not doing it are a lack of time and a lack of resources. So here's a suggestion. Instead of living in fear of the numbers and losing sleep over them, make peace with them by paying closer attention to the financials and creating positive cash flow. I'm Marcy Booth. Let's talk about the changes you need. Boothmain.com mm-hmm.
0: This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of REMAX Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With REMAX Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com.
4: It's always a pleasure for me to have the chance to meet people that have created products I enjoyed long before I knew I was going to be on the radio and long before I knew there was ever a chance I would meet them. One such individual is Talif Olson, who is the founder of Ocean Approved, a Maine-based kelp company. Ocean Approved was the first company to commercially raise kelp in open water farms in the United States. Really fortunate to have you here today. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, Lisa. Talif, you were featured in Maine Magazine um, because you do really interesting things. I'm not sure people think about kelp as something that you can eat.
1: Kelp has been eaten worldwide in coastal communities for millennia. The problem is it's a marine vegetable. It does not want to be in the atmosphere. And so traditionally it's been dried which is a very healthy presentation and a good way to eat it, but it limits the uses of it. Think the difference between a dried pea and a fresh pea. For taste, color, texture, ease of use, what we've done is found a market form, or I've made a market form that's much easier for people to enjoy.
4: When I first started eating um, your product, I found it in, I think it was a freezer. And I think it was brown trading when I was way back when. Um, Is this still the way that you are producing it?
1: That is. What we do, it has to be stabilized as soon as you bring it out of the ocean. It doesn't want to be exposed to the atmosphere. And we found that by cutting it, blanching it, and freezing it immediately, it stabilized it in its best possible state to eat it. Kelp is unique. It's designed to freeze on the low tides in the winter time. The cell structure doesn't break down when we freeze it. The frozen is indistinguishable from the fresh.
4: So let's back up a little bit. Kelp is one of many sea vegetables. And if I'm out looking at Seaweed. Let's call them seaweed because that's what most people think of as um, sea vegetables. What does kelp look like when it's sitting on the um, sitting on the shore?
1: We're focusing on the brown macroalgae's right now, which are the kelps. Kelp is actually a generic term that came out of Europe years ago. There is almost really no such thing as kelp. They even call rockweed kelp sometimes. So we're working with the brown macroalgae's. Kelp seaweeds come in various colors. You've got the reds, the browns, and the greens. They all look slightly different. We're working with the broader banded lemon areas because they are the best known in the market at this point. It was easier to extrapolate knowledge from Asia to convert it to our systems here. That said, there are many different seaweeds and most of them have great nutritional value.
4: So kelp would be sort of one of these broad, flat um, things that you would find as you're walking along the beach.
1: That's what most people would think of, yes. And the one you see predominantly on the beach is the sugar kelp, which are the great big flat blades with the ruffles on the edges. You will see some digitata also, especially after storms. That's a big plant that looks a lot like your hand, thus the digitata designation. And we also have a laria here, which is the equivalent of undaria, which is the wakame that most people are familiar with from seaweed salads. And you will see that on the beaches after big storms also.
4: In the article that Susan Conley wrote about Ocean Approved in Maine Magazine, um, you mentioned to her that kelp and um, seaweed are not true root vegetables.
1: That's correct. They don't feed from the root system like terrestrial plants do. They actually feed from the blade undulating through the water. And it's the surface area with the water flowing over it is how they collect the nutrients. They're very efficient at removing uh, nitrogens and phosphorus and also taking in carbon dioxide and releasing the oxygen. So it's a wonderful plant in that respect. The ocean is so efficient at mixing all these elements that the kelp can really capitalize on that. And we are growing what is arguably the healthiest vegetable you can eat with no fresh water, no arable tillable land, no fertilizers or insecticides. And um, I guess I can't say much more than that. It's a great way to grow a vegetable.
4: Yeah, I mean the fact that it already just grows on its own, and if you can find um, a, not a, a, an uncontaminated water source, then you're going to be you can be able to harvest it.
1: Well, and the beauty of that is Maine does a really good job of monitoring the waters, so we know where the clean waters are. And of course, the majority of water in Maine is absolutely pristine compared to most of the world. We have so much coastline, a relatively small population, and not a lot of an industry on the waterfront. There were problems back in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s with the factories upriver, but a lot of that has been alleviated now, so we're fortunate in the fact that we've got a great medium for raising the product. There's a lot of wild kelp available, but by moving it into aquaculture we're able to control our source, keep pressure off the wild beds, and ensure a more uniform product.
4: So where are you raising your kelp
1: currently? We have three farm sites here in Casco Bay in the Outer Calendar Islands. We have a small site up in the Blue Hill salt ponds. We've been experimenting up and down the coast to find the best areas. We're working with other folks in helping them learn how to farm it to produce product for us or for themselves, literally from the New Hampshire border uh, to the Canadian border.
4: You talked about kelp being used or all sea vegetables being used for hundreds of years in different cultures. I think what I'm remembering um, in reading about my my own family's Irish background, there was a lot of use of um, specific types of sea vegetables, kind of the things that they had available in Ireland. Is this true of all of the ocean-going countries around the world?
1: It is, and it was a dual-fold purpose in Ireland. The folks who were lucky enough to have rack rights during the potato blight were the families who stayed. And the rack rights meant that you could scavenge the beach, basically, and you could eat mussels and seaweed. You had food, because the problem was lack of food. Hawaiian royalty, four or 500 years ago, actually had private seaweed gardens. Indian communi- uh, um, indige- Indigenous communities along the Mexican coast use an eelgrass-type equivalent to make flour. Every coastal community throughout the world has used seaweeds as a component of their diet. In Iceland, you actually have hereditary rights to certain seaweed beds as a family unit, because, of course, you don't have the ideal growing season for vegetables there.
4: I was talking to Dean Lunt, who is the um, publisher uh, at Island Port Press, and he was saying that up where his family is from, Frenchboro, they take and dry um, sea vegetables on the shore, and then they keep that um, throughout the winter for various uses. Okay. So it becomes a, nutri- a nutrient that you can use all year round.
1: One of the seaweeds he's probably working with is one of the red algaes. It's called daltz. And as you go up into the Maritimes and towards Canada and into Canada, it's a very popular snack item. It's actually consumed the way a lot of people eat potato chips or peanuts. It's just a regular snacking item. And you're literally taking a multivitamin with fiber anytime you eat any of these seaweeds.
4: As part of the work that I've done in Chinese medicine and acupuncture, I have encouraged people to eat seaweed. And I usually send them towards dulse, or I will send them towards this very popular now um, snack called sea snacks, You know, where you have these little sheets of seaweed, and people really like that. But yours is a slightly different product, and you use it in slightly different ways.
1: Yes, what we've done is instead of drying it, We actually present it as a whole vegetable product, which makes it very easy to use. It's extremely palatable, it's mild, it's green when left in the form that we do. It's not strong. When you dry it, it can concentrate the flavors and become a little bit overpowering for some people. In the snacks, they moderate that by adding other items. But in our presentation, you've got a mild green vegetable that can be used across the board. I do everything from a lobster Benedict to a carrot cake and anything you can think of in between with the kelps, it makes it a very easy way to take advantage of the nutritional benefits. Kelp is loaded with selenium, silesium, magnesium, 30 or 40 trace elements and minerals that are extremely difficult to get from terrestrial plants because the soil leaches, and you try to replace those nutrients, but it's not cost-effective. And since we quit using Morton's iodized salt, kelp is the place to get your iodine.
4: I think I've had your Ocean Approved um, product at maybe Linda Beans. And the kelpy slaw?
1: That's correct. She does the kelpy slaw. She also does a wonderful uh, salmon and papiote. I actually do a version of it. I call it kelpiote, And it takes the traditional fish. They used to be done in a parchment paper and a brown paper bag. Instead, you wrap it with kelp. So instead of cutting the paper open and leaving it on the plate, you're actually consuming the vegetable as you eat the fish. And it's a beautiful presentation.
4: And some people also use, I know this is not your product, but some people use um, dried seaweed granules, and they'll put them almost as a pro- almost like a protein powder into a smoothie.
1: They do. We've actually been playing with smoothies a lot. Our kelps go wonderfully into smoothies. They leave a nice, because of the fiber, green, green fleck in your smoothies. Protein is an interesting one. There's been a lot of studies on that with the kelps and seaweeds, and one thing that has been proven, the more seaweed you eat, the more protein you derive from it because you actually change the microbial... Um, count in your gut. And it takes a certain microbe to really get, derive the protein benefits.
4: I believe that uh, kelp and other sea vegetables were very helpful um, after World War II. Uh,
1: that especially in Japan, with the uh, you know, the nuclear disasters over there, kelp, once again, is a great source of iodine. And iodine is extremely important if you're exposed to radiation. And of course, we're all exposed to radiation every day. And so kelp is an integral ingredient to help keep you balanced in that respect.
4: I also think that I'm remembering reading about um, a recent nuclear reactor accident after maybe a tsunami. And one of the things that that ocean, that sea vegetables are doing is actually helping clean up the water around that nuclear reactor.
1: That's correct. And it did something else too. It altered the market. Japan, the Fukushima disaster, Japan had had the lead position in the industry, the kelp industry, as the best number one product um, worldwide. And we're kind of moving into that niche a little bit now. People are afraid of the Japanese kelps a little bit now. And Ch- China is the largest farmer of kelps. But there are some questionable waters over there. So people are starting to lean towards our American kelps.
4: But it does uh, say something really good about kelp in general. You, maybe you don't want to be eating the kelp that's from near Fukushima, but you certainly eating kelp is going to be helpful for your own body because it can help clean up some of the th- things that you might normally ingest or be exposed to yourself.
1: Our kelp is fantastic for that. The fiber in kelp, as a matter of fact, two different studies, one in Great Britain and one in Japan, preliminary studies have found that marine fiber is 75% more efficient at removing bad fats, among other things. But they do carry out many of the baddies with them while leaving you with a good source, literally a multivitamin with fiber of selenium, silesium, magnesium. It just goes on and on and on. But as far as for cleaning up the water, and it's a neat thing in farming it, is we're taking advantage of excess nutrients, excess nitrogen, phosphorus that washes down from uphill. That's one of the reasons we don't have to add any fertilizer. And the ocean is extremely efficient in mixing all these. Salt water is composed of the same elements and minerals as our blood, basically. And so kelp, is a real easy vegetable for the body to assimilate and take advantage of.
4: I will often tell my patients who have thyroid issues or have a family history of thyroid issues um, that they might enjoy some sea vegetables because of the iodine.
1: My generation grew up with Morton's iodized salt, which was done intentionally with the assistance of the government because iodine is really hard to derive from terrestrial plants or meats. You don't get adequate and there's no commercially viable way to add iodine to the fertilizers and get enough. Kelp is the source for that. And as things have evolved, this is something that should be added to pretty much everybody's diet. I think it's 43% of the people in this country are iodine deficient right now. And as you said, applying that to the thyroid, that's one of the key parts of your body that requires and uh, regulates your iodine.
4: In macrobiotic circles, there are different different types of, um, and Chinese medicine, different types of sea vegetables are used for different things. Some of them are more cooling, some of them are more warming. They just, they have different properties. But in general, these vegetables seem to be very good for hair and skin and nails.
1: Absolutely, I can take that to a direct correlation. I had a horse back in the 1980s that I took over who was in trouble nutritionally. And I used uh, source products with kelp in them. And one of the problems we had was to get her to grow hooves, and her hooves grew. It took almost a year, but with constant use of the source products with the iodine, I mean, in the kelps, we grew beautiful uh, fur and hooves. We feed our cat kelp, and we noticed, literally noticed a difference in the fur. We're working on some topical applications, too, as opposed to the internal, and they work fantastic, too. I work outside year-round on the water. I pulled in 3,000 feet of line yesterday, And as when I showed up here, you commented, your hands aren't rough. It's from handling
0: the kelp. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines, carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention, focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled, you need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. Experience chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest-hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Maine seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants The Front Room, The Grill Room, and The Corner Room, this newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch lobstermen bring in the daily catch as you enjoy baked stuffed lobster, raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads. For more information, visit www.theroomsportland.com.
4: Why are you so passionate about kelp? How did you come to be... I mean, you're clearly very enthusiastic about it, and I love this. Why is this so important to you?
1: I've been intimately involved with the ocean my entire life. I've circled the globe. I've crossed the Indian, Atlantic, and Pacific Oceans. I've worked in the water. I've worked with food. And the writing's on the wall for the future. Our current food model does not work. The FAO branch of the United Nations has flat-out stated that at the current population ramp-up, we cannot feed the Earth past about 2,035. We need new ways. I've actually been fascinated with this since I read Jules Verne, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea when I was about 11 or 12 years old, and it stuck.
4: And were you raised on the ocean?
1: Yes. We started in South Portland. We moved to Auburn, Maine. And from the time we moved to Auburn until I... Firmly planted my feet on the beach. All I ever wanted to do was get back to the ocean. I surf, I dive, I sail, I motorboat. The ocean is a huge part of my life.
4: And what about your family? How does your family feel about your dedication to the ocean and also ocean approved and the kelp farming that you're doing?
1: I think that they like it. I think sometimes maybe they're even embarrassed. I've been a little bit fortunate in the press that I've received, but it, it's a unique approach to some age old problems. It's taken a combination of modern technology and known practices. And I think they must, I think they do enjoy the fact that there will be a, a tad of a legacy here. It's fun to be part of the solution instead of part of the problem.
4: You've actually recently received some, not only some acclaim from people in the media world, but you've also recently received $470,000 worth of grants from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and the Maine Technology Institute. So this is, this is a big deal that you're actually getting money to do the type of work that you're doing.
1: Well, it's been a fantastic boost for the company. For a small, close-funded company it's really hard to get through the R&D stage and those grants allowed us to move through the R&D stage and create a model that we see as a first step towards a new industry here in Maine and the United States. Shep Earhart from Maine Coast Sea Vegetables has done an absolutely wonderful job with dried uh, sea vegetables in Maine since the 1980s and a couple others also have but the market like most markets is evolving and this is a chance to evolve the market in a way that we can integrate the entire coastal community. We see this as a model for, there are many boats that sit unemployed in the wintertime. Our crop is counter-cyclical to lobsters, one of the largest marine crops in Maine. And so we see this as a job creator. Last year, or the year before, aquaculture in an area of the size of the Portland jet port generated $110 million that's aquaculture not seaweed but we see this as a growth industry and we see seaweed as a brand new component of it in the best year i can find on record there were 17 million metric tons of kelp farmed worldwide none of it in the us this would have been about 19 or about 2005 or so this is a this has huge potential for the state of maine and it has ramifications for the rest of the us also because there are seaweeds different seaweeds available on all the coastlines
4: how is what you're doing with the kelp and the aquaculture? How is this impacting the ecosystem of the coastline?
1: Well, the beauty of it is, right now we have adequate wild stocks and if they're carefully harvested, we could maintain them. But I'm 58 years old and in my lifetime I've never I've seen so many fisheries go boom and bust and have been a part of them. So right now we're carefully using the proper husbandry, maintaining wild beds as we move more and more into farming. By moving into farming We're probably the first company that has ever preemptively gone into aquaculture or fishing industry before there was a shortage of the wild product. But this will allow us to move gracefully into the farm product before the native beds are damaged. But it also allows us, from watching what happens in the wild, to pick the best spots, to learn how to grow it properly where it really wants to be. So we get a more uniform source of our product, and we get a guaranteed source of the product into the future instead of counting on Mother Nature to keep up with us and our demands.
4: Some of your company's institutional customers um, include Mercy Hospital, Gould Academy, Portland Public S- Schools, Bowdoin College, University of Maine, University of New Hampshire, Dartmouth College. That's a pretty prestigious group of um People who are following you and believing in what you're doing. How has this so, been so possible?
1: Well, it's been really fascinating because it's not only the quality of the food and the health benefits that these institutions are enjoying, and especially amongst the students, I've been real excited to realize just how socioeconomically aware they are. So not only are you getting a product that is being grown in a very sustainable fashion that can perpetuate jobs into the future, the combination of this is exciting. And then when you look at the nutritional value of this product and how little, as little as three or four ounces of this kelp a week will give you your iodine needs, not to mention all the trace elements and minerals, and it's also a good source of calcium, it's a good source of fiber, it's a good source of of so many, vitamin A, there's so many different components to this that it's, it's really not that surprising these institutions are interested.
4: So what do you see in your future? Your company's been around since 2006. So you've, you're heading into 10 years doing this. What is it that you'd like to accomplish?
1: would like to keep seeing the industry involved and see it become a true industry and not just a novelty. When I opened the company by myself in 2006, even people that respected me were laughing. like Some of the scientists at the DMR, they're like, Talif, what are you thinking? And now these same people are actually going out and eating kelp and taking it home to their families. What I see is an industry that should continue to grow, create jobs in this state, and help the earth while feeding people well into the next century.
4: How do people find out about Ocean Approved or where can people buy your kelp?
1: The easiest way is to go to OceanApproved.com. Just hit the internet and you can buy it direct from us online. We do have some retail presence. Uh, Harbour Fish downtown Portland is a great place if you want to pick some up or Brown Trading, as you mentioned earlier. And we really haven't been pushing the retail side right now. As a small company, we found it behooves us to chase the institutional side because these then become our educators. I actually go down to Johnson & Wales University every trimester now for three days and teach seaweeds which the first year I went, people were kind of raised eyeballs. The second year it was two times, and now I'm a regular. I'm almost an institution down there.
4: Well, I must admit, I was at Hugo's last night, and um, a very interesting dish they created with seaweed. And it, was, and it was something that I'd eaten before, actually. of the same earth at Hidden Pond. They also use seaweed. So I think that what you're doing must be sort of seeping out there. People are definitely paying attention.
1: When I wrote my business plan, the first paragraph was, the biggest hurdle in this industry is going to be the education of the consumer because we have a dedicated group that likes seaweed. But to move from that dedicated group to a larger segment of the population is a difficult move. And the way that we've made that is by changing our market form, by not drying the kelp we actually put it in a form that's extremely easy to use. You open the package and you can eat it right out of the package, which you can with dried. But it's very versatile and you can use it any place you would use a mild green vegetable and some places you wouldn't think of. I literally use it from lobster Benedict in the morning to carrot cake in the evening.
4: I encourage people to um, go online, find Ocean Approved. uh, Try out your product, I have, it's quite good and learn more about sea vegetables and the benefit of sea vegetables and um, what sea vegetables can do for an individual's health. But also, not an, not only an individual's health, but also the health of, really, the state of Maine and the ecologic systems that exist off the coast. So I appreciate your, your coming in today.
1: Thank you very much.
4: We've been speaking with Talif Olson, who is the founder of Ocean Approved, a Maine-based kelp company. And you can read more about Talif in Maine Magazine's article by Susan Conley. You've been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour podcast, show number 161, Treasures from the Sea. Our guests have included Dr. Mike and Wendy Taylor and Tola Olson. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit doctorlisa.org. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour podcast is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Dr. Lisa Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter and see my daily running photos as Bountiful One on Instagram. We love to hear from you. So, please let us know what you think of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our Treasures from the Sea show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life.
0: The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors Maine magazine marcy booth of booth maine apothecary by design mike lepage and beth franklin of remax heritage tom shepherd of shepherd financial harding lee smith of the rooms and bangor savings bank the dr lisa radio hour and podcast is recorded in the studio of maine magazine at 75 market street portland maine our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Susan Grisanti, and Dr. Lisa Belial. Our assistant producer is Leanne Weimet. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Our online producer is Kelly Clinton. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and podcast is available for download free on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details.